Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about something that is very common to us, and that, that is problems. That's the number one reason that people come to us. They're going through a problem. It could be a, a relational disappointment. It could be a situational difficulty. But people don't typically, in fact, nobody's ever come to us because they're struggling with too much joy. We are a sanctification ministry where we help Christians work through different complexities that are in their lives. Therefore, we produce a lot of content that talks about navigating problems, and that's what I want to talk about here. In fact, I have titled this, The First and Unique Step to solving your problems. And what I mean by that is that that when a problem comes into your life, there is a starting point. You got to start somewhere. You got to step into the problem that is before you. And so the key idea that I want to talk about is that very first step as you engage the problem. Now, you could perhaps use this as a case study. Let's say that you're going through a relational difficulty or some kind of situational complexity. Then I would just appeal to you to to use what I'm sharing with you as a case study. Think through what I'm saying and then just make that application to your life. Now, perhaps you are working with someone who is going through a hard time. Well, then I would hope that you would be able to catch what I'm saying here and to be able to share it with them so that they can start the right way. Because this is one of the big ideas that I'll be sharing with you. How you begin working through a problem will determine how you're going to end as you go through that problem. Working through pain is part of the human experience. Problems come and problems go as sparks fly upward. Trouble and trials began with the fall of humanity. We're all familiar with Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. It was all going swell and then it just was very unswell in a horrific way. And we recognize from that point of Genesis 3, 6 until Christ returns that there's always going to be some form of trouble in our lives. Now, that is a hopeless statement for people who do not have Christ, but we have great news. We know that we can solve our problems because not only do we know Christ, but we know where to step. We know where to start. We know how to begin the process of problem solving, which is what I want to share with you here. And maybe I could begin it with a question. Did you know that there is a unique first step to solving your problems? And that that first unique step flows out of our worldview. It, It flows out of how we perceive the problem. How you look at the problem, your presupposition, it will determine how you navigate through the problem. Some people look at problems and they look at it from a pessimistic, negative worldview, and they go into problem solving cynically and negatively. That's not how we solve problems. And again, the key idea is how you begin problem solving will determine how things are going to end with you. And so there is one truth on which you can hang your hat when it comes to problem solving. And here is the big idea. God's grace is sufficient. Now, if that is the window 
That is the worldview. That is the lens. That is the presupposition that you're looking through as you're looking at this problem. Then you are at the right place to begin navigating through that problem. God's grace is broader and deeper than all of our issues, which is why working through our problems, we have to make sure that we start at the right place. Now, I realize the all-sufficient grace of God sounds too simplistic for some people. And admittedly, it does sound like a bumper sticker. Hey, you're going through a problem. I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. Thank you. Give me a T-shirt. But here's the thing. What we think about truth is not what makes truth true. God's Word is true, period. There is no unfixable problem outside of God's empowering grace. That is the unique step. And if you don't understand that, believe that, wholeheartedly believe that God's grace is sufficient for what I am going through. If you don't believe that, then it will be rough going as you navigate through the problem. God's grace is so sufficient that it means that he will uphold you and give you unmerited favor even if the problem is not resolved according to your timetable or your expectations. God's grace does mean that whatever the Sovereign Lord writes into your narrative is going to be okay ultimately. He is God, and we are not. And we are, we are trusting Him and His grace as we move through our issues. This presuppositional beginning will define your journey, and it will define how you finish your journey. And so for the Christian, the starting point is always God and His grace. He is the window through which we think about life, especially our problems and situational difficulties. Is that true for you? I trust it is, because a person's belief system is the foundation for which they will work through problem solving. I mean, you can think about someone that does not know Christ, maybe adamantly rejects Christ, where their life will only have increasing disorder as they move through it because they are standing on a chaotic foundation. A Christian can't attempt to solve their problems without a theologically precise understanding of God, which brings us to the all-important question when you think about whatever problem is in your life, is God your starting point? Is God the window through which you see, through which you discern, and through which you solve your problems? It is a huge question. And so let's assume that you are a Christian. Let's further assume that you do have a God-centered worldview. And if you do, you can be fully confident that you're going to be okay, regardless of the twists and turns that you may experience. There is unmerited grace for the outcome. You can rest in God's sovereign scripting for your life because you're not just a believer, but you fully trust that God's grace is going to carry you along through whatever this problem is. Now, this kind of God-centered presupposition, it brings rest even in a storm. 
And it also releases us from time, from trying to force or manipulate an outcome according to how we want things. Now, maybe you have been in this situation before. The trouble is before you, and you are a believer, and you got the bumper sticker, and you know that God's grace is sufficient. But there was just something driving you to want to guide things toward a particular outcome. And every time that I have done that without trusting the Lord and moving according to how He was leading me, it has never ended well. Proverbs talks about this in 14.12. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Now, that's not the perspective that we want. Actually, we want God's thoughts about our problems. Maybe you're thinking about Isaiah 55, 8 now, where it says God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are different from our ways. If the Lord says no, then you do not want a yes. You want what God wants, even if His ways bring a bumpier than expected path. Christians think this way because they are assured personal peace through present trials, plus an ending beyond anything that their finite minds could ever imagine. And I know many of you have stories where you can look through the rearview mirror and you can say, I went through this difficult time and I tried to steer it according to my way. There is a way that seems right to a man. And that did not turn out so well. And there was this other path that I was afraid to go down. It was a bumpier than normal path. But eventually I went down that path. And as I look back on it now, God blessed me in unimaginable ways. Now, what I am suggesting here is that we just don't blindly accept everything that comes into our life without biblical analysis. I am not saying that we just, God's grace is sufficient and we just close our eyes and just hold our breath and we move forward as though we have no responsibility whatsoever. Now, that's kind of a resigning yourself to a fatalistic approach. You see, personal problems are not a call to lie down, to give up, to turn inward, as though there is nothing that we can do or should do about what is happening to us. God allows problems in our lives for many reasons, sometimes mysterious reasons. And even though His grace is sufficient, even though His grace is going to carry us through, we have a responsibility to cooperate with God. It's like what Paul was saying in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, that God is working in us and we are to work out our salvation and so we have a responsibility, and problem-solving becomes an opportunity for us to cooperate, to discern God, to know God, to mature in God, while seeking to understand what He has in store for us. And I know there is mystery here, but there is no such thing as God is my co-pilot or God is just going to let go, let God no, that, that is bad. That, that is sloppy religion. God is primary causal agent in our lives, and He is navigating our situation. He is writing the narrative, and He is supplying grace to move down that narrative, and He's calling us to work with Him. And so we are working above the net of God's grace, and we can confidently move forward knowing that all will be well 
ultimately with our souls. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so even in his weakness, his hardships, and calamities, you hear the peace of God that is just riveting him and is just moving him along through whatever the situations were in his life. And so how do you approach your problems? What is that unique first step? Are you empowered and convinced that God's grace is sufficient for you and you're moving into this problem with a God-centered worldview? Do you begin problem-solving knowing everything will be okay? Can we be honest? I think most of us start our problem-solving task with the desired end in mind. And if we can accomplish that end, we will be okay. And what I mean by that is, is that we determine how we want this thing to turn out. You're going through a relationship crisis, and you know that there is one result that you want. And so we start with that end in mind, and then we start pushing our way toward that end when that end might not be God's will. And when we try to force and guide our situation, sometimes as we're resisting what God may be doing in our lives, it kind of works like this. Number one, we experience something undesirable and we want it to change. That's normal. Number two, before we look to God, we look for a quick fix. I have trouble in my life and I'm going to fix it and we'll be done with that and we go on to the next thing tomorrow. Number three, even when we look to God, it is more about a plea for Him to change our circumstances. We are inviting God into our story, hoping that God will write our story according to how we want it written. And then number four, we just ignore the book of Job because the book of Job, quite frankly, just frightens us because we know that that is not a quick fix. We also know that we might not get the result that we had intended, and we know that we cannot budge God no matter how hard we try. Job said it this way in 23. He said, but he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? For what he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. The book of Job just frightens us. And so if your strategy is like what I have just described, trying to fix the problem according to your will, ignoring the possibilities of the book of Job, it's time to rethink your problem-solving strategies. If your primary goal is to change your circumstances, you may set yourself up for ongoing suffering and continued relational dysfunction. Now, I am not saying that you should not pray for changes in your circumstances. Jesus did that quite clearly. Dear Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians 12. He prayed three times for his circumstances to change. I mean, who knows? It may be God's will to change things to exactly how you want things to be. But if not, as Jesus said in Luke 22 when he's in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. You also hear that in Daniel, Daniel 3. God can deliver us from this fire, 
but if not. And so, yes, we pray. By all means, we ask the Father to change things for us. That is an excellent prayer because God can do the impossible. If He wills, He can do this or He can do that. The problem is when we try to steer God's hands toward an outcome that we think is right. If there is a temptation to guide God's hands, then we need to change our minds, realigning our thoughts to God's thoughts. Go back to Isaiah 55, and his thoughts are much higher and much different from ours. James called this arrogance. He said it this way in James 4. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. These people were confidently saying that this is what's going to happen tomorrow. James says, no, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, you're boasting in your arrogance. Which brings us to the classic example of things not going the way that we had hoped they would go because there was a sovereign plan in play that we realize eventually, and that's in Genesis 50, 20. Joseph said it this way, As for you, you meant evil for me when all this stuff happened. But God meant it for good. Why? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. If Joseph had gotten what he had wanted, like most of us, when trouble came into our lives, we want we have a designated end. We know how to fix this. We know the straightest path to get to the end result. Well, if we go down that short path and, and wrap this thing up quickly, then we're going to miss out on something that's very important to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The Lord is the only person who is wise enough, strong enough, holy enough to permit suffering in our lives for the sole purpose of a favorable outcome. What we think is exclusively for evil can be turned on its head and used for our good, as we see in the story of Joseph. His fame is also uh, something that is enhanced when we take the longer route. And then, of course, the benefit of others. And so there is this threefold effect when God does the difficult, mysterious thing, not giving us what we want in the moment. Ultimately, we benefit. Ultimately, his fame is enhanced. And ultimately, as Joseph said, many people are preserved this day. It is to the benefit of others. Not knowing God's full mind on a matter is why it is dangerous and unwise to begin our problem-solving efforts without a God-centered presupposition. We have to recognize that He is God, that we are not. Recognize that He is omniscient and we are not. And so we want to humbly say, God, please lead us even if it takes us down a rigorous road. Who knows? Maybe the Lord has brought us into a suffering-filled season for the express purpose of doing things in our lives and relationships that could only happen through disappointment. How about Esther 4.14? Mordecai, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom 
for such a time as this, Esther. It should cause us to wonder how often we have pushed against the purposes of the Lord as we tried to truncate His work in our lives because we did not like what He was doing. The answer to Mordecai's question is, God brought Esther into the kingdom to spread His fame. The Lord elevated her for the express purpose of putting His name and His people on display throughout the known world. He allowed sin and suffering to accomplish His good objectives. Mordecai had the correct worldview when he was talking to Esther. His starting point, that first and unique step, it determined how he worked through the problem. It also determined how things would end and all things worked out for good, even though it was a very difficult path. It's not wise to read the Bible in a detached way. The stories of Joseph and Esther, they make sense. And we nod in affirmation to the goodness of God through their trials. Praise God. God's grace is sufficient. And then the test happens to us. The truth taught in Sunday school, it loses momentum when it should sustain us, especially when Joseph's and Esther's problems become our problems. When suffering comes to our door, our theology can fall flat as our minds stray from God-centered purposes. Esther and Joseph lived in the comfortable tension of gospel irony. What the world meant for evil, God meant for good because he was working his redemptive plan in the lives of his children. The cross of Christ is the most counterintuitive, talking about gospel irony, the, the cross of Christ is the most counterintuitive event in human history. The disciples stood at the foot of that hill on that day, looking up at a dead man on a tree. He was supposed to be their leader. On that day, their dream died. The death of Christ threw them for a loop. There was a season when it appeared that they would never recover from their disappointment. Peter denied ever knowing him. And the whole gang just spiraled into dysfunction. You see that in John 18. Nothing will try your faith more than when you want something so much, but you are unable to attain it. And that's what the boys were going through during that season of the death of Christ or the, the, the coming and taking of Christ in Gethsemane. The torture of Christ, the death of Christ, and of course, going into the tomb. Unfulfilled requests are what makes the gospel so profound. It also makes the preaching of the gospel to ourselves every day absolutely necessary. Peter and his team had to go back to the basics. They needed a gospel realignment. With a shattered faith, they needed severe downtime with God to reorient their hearts to His truth rather than their dreams and their expectations. In Luke 24, 49, we, we kind of get a snippet into that downtime. It says, it says this, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, 
but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so after the death and the ascension of Christ, they went into the city and they just hung out, waited until they had that gospel realignment of the mind. They were of no value to God or their constituency because the gospel they claimed to believe it was not the animating center of their lives. You could say that they were unbelieving believers, meaning they were most definitely Christians who believed in God. They had their ticket punched to heaven, but their belief did not give them what they needed to live well on earth practically day in and day out. Now, perhaps this is you. Maybe it's you now. It has been me without question. I have been an unbelieving believer so many times in my life where most definitely in a salvific sense, I am born again, but I don't act like that in my daily deportment, especially when difficulties come into my life that I cannot fix. If you are stuck in a funk and cannot make any headway out of the funk, let me appeal to you to spend less time trying to get out of it and more time realigning your heart to the Lord. Go into Jerusalem and wait until power comes down from on high. You may never fully understand what he is up to in your life. Your faith is buoyed by who God is, not by having all of the answers to your problems. Maybe God doesn't want to change your circumstances. If the main thrust of your mental energy is about changing your circumstances, you could be making a huge mistake. Think Joseph. Think Esther. Think Jesus. Think Paul. As you read the narrative of their lives, the historical data is there in Scripture. Whatever they may have wanted, Whatever you may have wanted for them, that is not what they got. They got something different than what we would expect. Their good outcome came through tremendous trial. Reflect on any person in the Bible who did not get what they wanted. Maybe God wants to change your circumstances. I don't know. Maybe he does. That's mystery. I don't know. But what I do know is he wants to change your heart. And if he changes your heart, your circumstances will have less power over you. The end game is not your best life now. The end game is finding shalom with God, even when life does not make sense. And that is what Peter and his team had to do. The gang had to reconcile the fact that they were not going to get what they wanted, when they wanted it, and how they wanted it. Jesus was not going to be their king, not at that time. They had to become okay with their unchangeable circumstances. And once they reconciled that, reconciled that in their hearts, they turned their problems and they turned the world upside down. Once they recognized they weren't going to get what they wanted. They had a gospel realignment of the mind. It is possible that what you perceive to be right is wrong. Eventually, Peter discerned this, and afterward, life became less about what he wanted and more about what God wanted. I'll share a text of Scripture with you, and I'll comment on it afterward. 
It's a profound passage of Scripture. I'll explain why, but let me read it to you first. It's Acts 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, quote, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible when considering the context of the dire situation in Acts 2.14. There are times when a passage just jumps out at you. And I remember many years ago when I was reading this passage and it just leapt off the page. It begins this way. But Peter standing. Those are the three words that just caught my attention and would not let me go. It is staggering when you put this passage in context with the most recent events in Peter's life. You see, one of the last times we saw Peter, he was not standing and he was not defending the faith. He was cursing and denying the faith. But then something transformative happened to this man. He didn't get what he wanted. He got something far better. It was so much better that he went from denying the Lord to proclaiming the goodness of the Lord. And that's what those three words say in Acts 2. But Peter, standing, and when I saw that, it's like, okay, power has come down from on high. Uh, he went aside. He sat aside until power came down. He had a reorientation, a reorientation of the mind. He became okay with not getting what he want, with Jesus dying on the cross. And then he began to see a greater plan that he did not perceive. And God's grace moved him through in, a, in such a powerful way that they turned the world on its head. He understood the first and unique step to solving your problems is a God-centered worldview that is just saturated with God's grace. If you want to read what I've just shared with you, again, you can find the article on our website, The First and Unique Step to Solving Your Problems. Let me wrap up here. I'll ask you just a, a few questions, but first, Perhaps your life or your circumstances never changes. I don't know. I have been in that place where I had a desired outcome. I knew the path to take, but it was the path of death. And God said no to that. And he said, you're going to go this way. And my circumstances never, never, ever changed. And so I don't know if your circumstances will change. It's just a mysterious thing. But what I do know is that your desired outcome, whatever that outcome you hope to have, that cannot be your starting point. When Peter's ambitions became his point of departure, that this is what I want, and then he began, well, he ended up denying the Lord. When he exchanged his desires for the will of God, he got something transcendent. Problem solving begins with the Lord, not with what we want. If what we desire collides with what the Lord gives us, then this is our first problem to solve. Here's a couple of questions for you. Number one, do you believe that your problems are more significant than God's grace? Straightforward question. Whatever your situation or difficulty is, I don't know. But just yes or no. Do you believe that your problems are greater than God's grace to buoy you through those problems. 
the follow-up is, why did you answer the way that you answered, however you answered that question? Number two, number two name three bad things in your life that the Lord used for your good and His glory. Just name one, but if you can list three, that's fantastic. Now, that would be a great conversation to have with someone. Not just to encourage them, but to reinforce in your own mind. The more that we tell the story of God's grace in our life, the more we reaffirm God's grace in our life as we are encouraging others. And so name one, two, three things in your life that the Lord used for your good and His glory. Three bad things. And then finally, number three. Are you struggling now? If so, have you surrendered the outcome to the Lord? Or are you still trying to control the outcome? We can't do what Peter did. If we do what Peter did initially, it's just going to create more chaos and relational tension in our lives. But if we surrender the outcome to God, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, I want this outcome. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you'll know how true that is as shalom begins to supplant that self-will. And you begin to have peace in your soul and a rest as God's grace begins to buoy you as you surrender yourself. I'm not saying that you resign yourself to fatalism. I'm not saying that that good outcome in your mind, that that outcome may never come true. But if we are trusting God, regardless of the path that we, that we take, that He leads us down, then we are at the right place to begin problem solving. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.